City Church, it's good to be with you whenever you're watching this, wherever you're watching it. I'm not actually with you right now, but I'm believing that God can get this message to you and that he can use it in your life in a powerful way. Uh, I know these circumstances are, are difficult and challenging and, and maybe a little bit scary, but um, I'm trusting God with them and believing that he can even work in the midst of these circumstances to continue to revive joyful worship and advance his kingdom. And uh, that's what I want to see him do. Even through this message in your life, uh, wherever you're watching this, whenever you're watching it, okay? Um, I, uh, I got a chance to be with one of my good friends this last weekend, and uh, he's, he's, he's an awesome dude. He just lives life full throttle, and uh, so he's got all kind of crazy stories. But one of the stories that came up when I was together with him this last weekend um, actually wasn't about him at all. It was just about him and his, his, his mom and his sister, and uh it's a crazy story about they, they basically were out just getting groceries and uh, they came home and uh, unloading groceries in the kitchen, doing whatever. And uh, his, his mom just kind of noticed something on the alarm pad was kind of off. And she was like, man, it seems, you know, something's off. And her mom senses just clicked in and she called her, her his sister to come back into the kitchen from wherever she had kind of wandered off to in the house. And she said, hey, Paige, come back in here and help me with the groceries. When she got back in the kitchen, she said, hey, Paige, we, we're getting in the car right now. They, get, they hop in the car, they start backing out, and they look up, and in one of the windows upstairs, they see a man standing there. And so they, they just book it out of there, call the police. They don't catch the guy. He kind of gets away. But, I mean, this is just like the creepiest story, right? I'm, like, I'm sitting here in this empty building late at night and uh, so creeped out just thinking about it. It's really unsettling to think that when you're, when you're alone – it's unsettling to realize that you're not alone. Uh, and uh, for a lot of us, I think we actually need to be unsettled in a way uh, because we're going through life not realizing that there's, there's someone there. And it's not just someone there, somebody who wants to harm us and uh, that there's a danger, there's a threat. And it's not physical, it's spiritual. We're walking through our lives not knowing that we're walking in the context of spiritual warfare with an adversary who wants to harm us. John Piper says it this way. He says, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. And most people don't believe, in it, don't believe it in their hearts. Most people show by their priorities and casual approach to spiritual things that they believe we are in peacetime, not wartime. Very few people think that we are in a war that is far greater than World War II. And even fewer consider that the casualties in this war do not merely lose an arm or an eye or any earthly life, but lose everything, even their own souls. And so what Piper is saying there and what I think the scriptures are going to point us to is that uh, our worship is warfare. That for us to live lives of worship, we're living lives in the context of spiritual warfare. If you're going to walk in worship, you're going to walk with an adversary, with adversity coming your way. Uh, that when we're born again into the family of God, we're actually born into the context of a war. And, uh, and so who, we're going to ask these questions today. Who is waging war against you? How are they waging war? And how do we defend ourselves? Who is waging war against you? How are they waging war? And how, how do we defend ourselves? And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 starting in verse 10, but I'll tell you, uh, you know, we've been in Ephesians together now for a little while as a church. We studied Ephesians 1 through 3 uh, before 2020, uh, just last fall. And what we saw is that in Ephesians 1 through 3, we saw how in Christ, God has carved out a foundation for our worship, that 
all of our identity now is wrapped up with who we are in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ is the, is the chorus of Ephesians 1 through 3. And so we have this new identity. And then in chapter 4, Paul shifts and he begins to talk about what it looks like to live out this identity, to live uh, all of our lives as a walk of worship in these relationships, in these contexts. And so uh, then he comes to the end of this letter. And, uh, and so now he's going to kind of send us off as a church now into this life of worship. But he wants to send us off knowing that we're going to face adversity and that we have an adversary who wants to destroy us. And so we need to be strong. That's what he's going to tell us right away. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so that finally is kind of like henceforth, from now on, know that you're going about living out this life of following Jesus, walking in worship. You need strength because there's somebody who's going to oppose you. So you can't operate just on your own strength. You need God's strength. You see that? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so why do we need that particularly? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We will have to take a defensive posture against an adversary. And the adversary who we're going to wage war against is the devil. And so when you hear the devil, you might think, like your mind might just click into a cartoonized version of some kind of like guy with a horns and a pitchfork. You might like make him out to be something that's really silly. Um, but I think what happens is probably one of two things when we hear uh, that we have an adversary and that, that adversary is the devil. And so uh, we probably make too much of him or too little of him, one or the other. And so C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters, which is a fictional depiction of kind of how uh, demonic forces might be working against mankind. Um, C.S. Lewis says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And so uh, that's, that's kind of like the, that's what C.S. Lewis is getting at. We, we either are obsessed with them and they think that we think that they are the source of all of the problems or all of the wrong or bad in our lives. It's actually just demonic forces doing all of it. Or we forget that they exist altogether. And honestly, most people I know actually fall into this category. Most people listening to this, you, you probably make very little of the demonic forces that are working against you. And that's why we're even leaning into this so hard today. Um, but Paul does speak of the devil. And the devil he's speaking of is Satan. So Satan we see in, in almost the earliest pages of the scriptures, and uh, we see him being defeated in the very end of the scriptures. And so he exists all the way throughout. And, uh, and so we can see a few things about him uh, through, throughout the scriptures. One is that he's not omnipotent. He's not, he's not all-powerful. It's not God and Satan kind of duking it out. And we don't know yet who's going to win. God is actually very clearly more powerful than Satan. It's not, a, it's not a contest. But Satan's not omnipotent, but he is really powerful. Um, he is really powerful. Adam and Eve, they, they, had, they didn't have fallen minds. They weren't sinful people, and yet he was able to deceive them. He's powerful, and he's crafty. And so it, we also see that he's not omnipresent. He, he can't be everywhere at one time. Um, and so it's likely that Satan is not the one who is messing with you or attacking you or uh, tempting you necessarily, but it is uh, someone who is working for Satan, uh, something that's working for Satan. 
And so he's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. And the last thing, he, he, he doesn't make you sin. That's not, he doesn't have the power to do that. So when we trace the work of Satan in the scriptures, we see that he doesn't actually have the power to make you sin, but he does have the ability to play off of your sinful tendencies. And so uh, he, he plays off of your sinful tendencies for a very particular purpose. He wants, what the scripture says, that he wants to devour you or destroy you and do that by separating you from God. So separating you from God is his, it's what he wants, he wants you to see you separated from God for eternity. And, uh, and it's not because he wants to get you on his team, like, hey, put on my jersey and we can fight God. He doesn't want you on his team, he wants to kill you. And he's gonna do that not by making you sin, but playing off of your sinful tendencies. And so there's something called resonant, resonance in a piano. So there's a lot of piano experts at City Church, so you can correct me if I'm wrong or tell me how right I am, one or the other. But uh, resonance is when, when if, you, if you sing a note into a, into a piano, you open up the back, you sing into, the, sing into it, the note that you sing will actually will cause that note in the piano to vibrate. And so that's resonance. And that's kind of how uh, Satan will sing to our heartstrings the sinful tendencies in them. Or you can think about it like this, you're magnetized in a certain way as somebody who's born underneath sin. You're magnetized towards a particular type of sin. And um, sin is just a rejection of God's good authority. And so you're magnetized towards that. And Satan, while he can't cause you to sin, he can actually play off of your magnetism to try to pull you away from God. He'll use anything to advance his purposes He'll use suffering in your life to cause you to hate God or distrust God, or he'll use, um, he's not actually causing them necessarily, but he, he will say, oh, you're suffering. Let me try to tempt you to think that uh, God, is to, God is not loving in the midst of your suffering, or you have success. Let me tempt you to actually just forget about God altogether. So he can use suffering or success. He can use pain in your life to try to separate you from God, or you can use pleasure in your life to try to separate you from God. He'll use either one. He just wants to separate you from God. And so it's worth noting now, if you haven't been under spiritual attack, or that's not something you're experiencing in your life a lot, um, that that doesn't necessarily mean that, that like you're winning. Okay, that actually might mean that Satan just doesn't have to do that much work right now because Jesus is that far from your life. Okay, so beware if you, uh, you know, if, if you're not attempting to or wanting to worship Jesus and, Follow him into whatever his mission is for you. Uh, that, that, uh, like, if you're not wanting to do that, Satan doesn't really have to do a lot in your world. He doesn't have to sing into your heartstrings very loudly because you're already in the place he wants you to be. Sun Tzu is an ancient military strategist, wrote a book called The Art of War. It's a very old book, but it has some really interesting things about it when it, when it speaks about warfare. So when I was thinking about Satan's kind of uh, crafty warfare against us. I, I read, some, read some quotes from it, and a couple stood out to me. One is that the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. The other is that the greatest victory is that which requires no battle. And so for Satan in your life, if he's really doing his job, you're already outside of this worship in Jesus the greatest victory for him would be that which requires no battle at all, just to let you drift. And so uh, I'm actually wondering and hoping that these weeks of disrupted worship rhythms for you 
might actually be a way in which God reshapes your worship altogether. Would you, would you even just ask him? Engage with him on that. What does God want to do with your worship in these particular moments? Because I wonder if just in the disruption of it all, God wants to reshape your worship. Maybe you're somebody whose Jesus has just been kind of just outside on the edges, fringes of your life. God could use these moments to bring him to the very center. And when, when he does, what I want you to not be surprised by is that Satan's going to hate that. It's the exact opposite of what he wants. So don't be surprised when you face adversity uh, when Jesus is moving towards the center of your life. Um, and so what's that going to look like when he wages war? What, is, what form does that take in particular? Look at Ephesians 6.12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so the form that it takes is not flesh and blood. You see that? It says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. And so the form that it takes is spiritual because Satan's not trying to just wound your body. Your, your body is, is going to die, and, and, and that, that's what sin's going to do. It's going to corrupt it, and, and our bodies die. But our souls are eternal. And Satan wants to eternally destroy your soul. Now, we will be resurrected physically from the grave in Christ, and so we will have bodies again. So that's all true, but what Satan's wanting to do is not attack you physically. He's wanting to attack you spiritually. He wants to destroy your soul. That's what the war is, is spiritual. And then the second thing, uh, you see the word wrestle, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's a very particular kind of fighting. And so Paul goes... Not just kind of a distance warfare. He's saying this is up close and personal. This is trench warfare. This is in your face. This is as close as it can get. And so what I want you to see is the primary battlefield then. If it's going to be as up close and personal as you can get, it's going to be your mind. And so there's going to be spiritual forces that are working to, to attack your mind. Your thinking is, I think, the primary space in which this warfare is happening. And so it's, what form does it take? It's spiritual, it's mental. And then uh, look at verse 11 again. He says, the schemes of the devil. And so it's, uh, uh, this warfare is also very subtle. That word schemes, it's like a trap or a snare. It's something that you're in before you really realize that you're in it. And that's the problem. Uh, it's a scheme. It's a subtle uh, spiritual mental attack. And, uh, and so I think that it's helpful to try, if you're trying to get behind the curtain of some of this, these schemes, I think in particular, these subtle attacks, I think they can take two kind of forms, okay? So if Satan's going to work on you, he, 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 there's, there might be more than this, but it's at least these that he's going he's gonna to pull these twin levers of temptation and accusation, okay? Temptation and accusation. And uh, I think Tim, Tim Keller did a good job of helping kind of uh, describe these in a way that was helpful for me. And so I think temptation and accusation are a good way of looking at what the schemes are of Satan. And so what he wants to do in temptation, what he's aiming to do is to turn you from God. Satan wants to get you to turn away from God towards something else. Uh, there's an old Puritan named Tom. There, I mean, he was not old when he wrote uh, this book, but uh, now he's old because he's a Puritan, okay? But he wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And, um, and when he's talking about temptation, 
He describes one way that Satan does this by presenting the bait but hiding the hook, which is kind of like what all fishermen do is they like, they want you to see the bait, but they're not just like, and look, there's a hook right there too. They're going to hide the hook, but show the bait. And that's what Satan's going to do in your life with temptation. When he wants you to turn away from God, he's not going to show you all of the fallout, all of the problem, all the pain, all the suffering, all all that's going to come from that sin that turn you away from God. He's just going to show you, hey, if you really chase this job, then you'll get that lake house. Never mind that your family won't be there to enjoy it with you because you're going to wreck your family along the way. Or why don't you just, I mean, this, this, uh, this alcohol is just, man, it's the flavor is amazing, the taste, it's not, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm just, man, I love this drink. Or what about this, this person who's not your spouse, they really respect you, or they're really, man, they're so attractive, and they think highly of you, what if you just, what if you just got more affirmation from them, or more control in this space, or more power in this space, or more comfort in this space? Look at how appealing all these things are, and he's going to hide the hook. And uh, it's what he did in the garden. Hey, look at that fruit. And it comes with all this knowledge. Wow. You should, you should try that. Never mind that death, destruction, pain, sickness, sadness, everything that comes from that. Don't mind that. I'm going to hide that. Just look at the bait, man. And uh, so that's one way that he's going to tempt. Another way is that um, he's going to try to tell you that sin isn't really that big of a deal because God is merciful anyway. And so, hey, it's not that big of a deal if you kind of give into this or just take one more step down that road or just do this one more time because it's not that big of a deal. God's going to forgive you because he's merciful. What he wants you to do is forget the holiness of God, forget the justice of God, forget the commands of God. And so that's temptation. Turn you away from God. Look at something else. Be distracted by this thing. Get God out of your eyesight. And then the other lever is accusation. And that's not turning you from God. It's getting you to hide from God. He doesn't want an accusation. He's not trying to get you to turn and look at something else. He's trying to get you to turn and hide. And there's a few reasons why he wants you to do that. He's going to tell you that uh, your sin is really, really big. Your sin is huge. Your sin is ugly. Your sin is terrible all the while saying, don't look at your Savior. Never mind that Jesus' blood is that worthy, that he's that strong, that his righteousness is that good. Don't mind that. That's small. Your sin is big. Look at your sin. So he's going to do that. Or he's going to tell you that if you were a real Christian, that you wouldn't even have these desires and these temptations or these thoughts. How dare you think that? Man, no Christian is actually tempted in this way. That is a wicked thought that you have. How can you, how can you even call yourself a Christian? You're too messed up to be a Christian. You're too messed up to be one of God's children. God's children don't actually think that way. They wouldn't even be tempted with that. That's how Satan's going to work. And then the last thing, and it's actually the, the way that Satan tries to sing to my heartstrings. Uh, he's trying to tell Christians, he wants Christians to obsess over their past sins, over things that can't be undone. And so that's what he's going to tell me. Hey, you've, you've done this thing or said this thing, and there's no way back for you. There's no grace for you. Grace isn't strong enough for that. That can't be forgiven. That can't be undone. And so he doesn't want me to forget the holiness of God. He wants me to forget the love of God. You see that? 
He doesn't want us me to forget the holiness. He wants me to forget the love of God. So temptation or accusation, both levers he wants to pull. And so that's the form that this warfare is taking. It's subtle, it's uh, up close and personal, it's spiritual, and it's kind of this deceptive way of getting you to turn away from God by either looking at something else or just hiding from him altogether. And so how do we defend ourselves against that? This is going to happen in your life. If you're following Jesus, this is going to happen. He's not going to just let you slide by. Maybe you're the one person who's not going to face any spiritual warfare in your life, okay? Um, so if, how do we defend ourselves then? What we, can we do? And what, 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 what Paul's going to tell us, okay, the instructions of Scripture for you are to put on armor, okay? You need to be protected. You need something that can hold up against all of these very subtle, sneaky attacks, something that's going to cover you and protect you. Okay, and so this is what Ephesians 6, 13 through 17 says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what does he do? He says, hey, put on armor. And he kind of gives us this imagery of this armored up soldier who's ready to stand against all these different kind of attacks. Okay, he's going to kind of try to hit you in the head or shoot you in the chest all these different things, okay? And so, uh, but, and I would love to work through all of these things very, very specifically, but um, that would take a lot of weeks, okay? And, and honestly, what I want to do in this particular moment, uh, even if we had all those weeks to cover this, what I want you to do is see what all of this armor is ultimately leading us to do. What does all this armor require you to do? If you're going to wear this armor, something has to be true, and it's going to be that Jesus Christ has to be the closest thing to you. That his words, his spirit, that him, he himself is going to have to be closer to you than anything else in your life. Okay, look at it. The belt of truth that's going to gird you up, okay? Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the truth. John 1 says that he's full of grace and truth. Jesus is right at the center of what reality is. Truth is just that which is in accordance with reality. And God's word defines truth, and Jesus is at the very center of it. We can't put on the belt of truth without putting on Jesus. Okay, we can't wear the breastplate of righteousness without wearing Jesus, okay? Uh, Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Where do we find our righteousness? All of my righteousness, all of your righteousness is wrapped up in the person of Christ, your right standing with God. He credited all of Jesus' righteousness to you. That's where, that's where the source of all of our righteousness is in Jesus of Nazareth. He walked this path. He lived a life perfectly worshiping God all the while. Then he died a death on my behalf. Then he rose from the dead. My right standing with God Almighty is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. That's the breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. I don't have any peace. I don't have any gospel peace shoes to put on apart from Jesus. Okay? And then he's the shield of faith. 
Or we're supposed to pick up the shield of faith. What is my faith in? My faith is in Jesus. My faith is not in a vague God who vaguely is going to accept me. My truth is, my, my faith is in Jesus Christ. I will wear his righteousness before God Almighty. That is the only thing that we can claim. So my faith is in Jesus. That's the shield of faith. And then the helmet of salvation, Acts 4. Peter says, and there is, no, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The helmet of salvation. There's nobody else but Jesus' name that I can be saved. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Uh, Just consider this, that Jesus himself picked up the sword of the Spirit when he was tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness. He wielded it against all of his temptation and accusation in the wilderness and, and was able to walk away victorious from that. Um, He trusted in God's word. He modeled that for us. And then I would say that God's word points us back to him. He says that in in Luke 24, he'll say that all the the prophets, all the Old Testament, it's all pointing forward to him. The New Testament's about nothing but Jesus. And so he's at the centerpiece of all of this. So if we're going to put on the armor of God, then we're going to have to put on Jesus. He's going to have to be what is closer to us. Uh, his words and himself is what are closer to us than anything else. Um, and so how is this going to look in real time? And, and for me, this is not just kind of an abstract week. I actually didn't want to even give this message. I, I, I wanted to, I wanted, I didn't want to uh, ask somebody else to preach this message because I knew that what was waiting for them on the other side was a lot of spiritual attack. That's what's going to happen when you preach. And so uh, I knew that was going to come. Um, but but I didn't know what that would look like. And so what that looked like for me this week was actually um, had to do with potty training, not for me, uh, for my daughter. And so uh, Lucy, she's potty training, super proud of her. She's doing a great job, but it's also really stressful for her at different times. Understandably, big transition. She got a new sister, potty training, all that stuff. It's happening. Um, and so uh, she's stressed, and then I become stressed, and then she reacts destructively, and then I react in frustration, and then next thing I know, I'm just not kind to my baby girl, and I fail as a dad. And man, that failure just just weighs on me. And then I have to go to a meeting, and I just get in my car, and I'm driving away, still just cloaked in failure of just not being kind or patient to my daughter. And, uh, and man, Satan seized on that moment in this way that was crushing. And, and here's what I heard in that moment. You will never be a good dad. You will never be a good husband. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. You are a fake and you're probably going to hell. That's what I heard in those moments. And so this whole concept of spiritual attack and uh, putting on this armor, it's not a conceptual or kind of faraway thing to me this week. This is real time. And, and here's what I would say to myself and what I'd say to you is that it may be your voice who's speaking to you or you thinking those thoughts, but I would also contend that your enemy is feeding you those thoughts, that you are being played. I find it particularly strange that in those moments, all of a sudden I shift to the second person. Maybe you shift to the second person. You this, you that, you this, you that. 
You will never be. You will always be. So maybe it's me speaking, but it's my enemy who's singing to the strings of my heart. That's what I see to be true from the scriptures. And um, what I also found really interesting about Satan's attack on me in particular is that when it comes to my salvation, he can only say, I think you're probably going to hell. Uh, he can't actually come out right and condemn me anymore. And the reason why is because I've actually gone a bunch of rounds uh, on this. And the Spirit has won these really significant victories in my life. Uh, these places where the accuser has been dealt a devastating blow, but he'll keep coming back and he's going to try to work it around in different ways, but he's not going to come the same way he did before. He's just now trying to just cast shades of doubt uh, at me. And uh, what he knows is that uh, I know that I belong to the Father. And so if it just came out right and said, I question whether or not you belong to the Father, that actually has been dealt with for me. He wants to cast shades and press around and find some other route to try to work me away from God and confidence in his love. And he doesn't want to actually send me running to my heavenly father to get affirmation. That's what Satan doesn't want me to do. He knows that if he actually plays that string, it's going to cause me to run to my heavenly dad and ask for help. And that's exactly what he doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to run to your heavenly dad. He doesn't want you to go talk to the father. He doesn't want you to engage with God. And so what I'll tell you to do is that when you're in those moments, when you're trying to, what does it look like to actually put on armor? Maybe you like left a piece off. How do I put it on? Run to Jesus. Run, not just vaguely, run to the cross and see the, the crucified king and all that he paid on your behalf, how costly all of that sin really was. He paid in full for it. And then run to the tomb and see that it was actually paid in full because that tomb is empty. And then run to the risen Lord and see that he is alive forevermore and that he is leading you now into an eternal life with the Father. That's what's happening. And so run to your heavenly dad. Run to the resurrected king. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What kind of might does he have? the kind of might that brings dead people to life. Be strong in him and be connected to him. That's what Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and, supp and, and, and supplication. That means, hey, I, it's, not, it's not just kind of a, a letter you're writing to God. It's a walkie-talkie that you're carrying around with him saying, hey, we're, we're getting actually a lot of fire from over on this side. Would you, would you please help me over here, Holy Spirit? Would you please remind me of the gospel truth right here, Holy Spirit? I'm being tempted to turn away from God in this way. Would you please help me? Or I'm being actually tempted to hide from God right here. Would you help me? And so you call in, you engage. You don't just talk about God. You talk to God in this moment, okay? And so it doesn't end there. You don't just listen to his words, uh, then you lift up your words, and then you also lift up your fellow saints with that. It says, uh, 618 says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, maybe making supplication for all the saints. And so what you're doing in that moment this is a real thing for you to do. Help one another suit up with the armor of God. That's what, that's what the scriptures are telling you to do. When I, when I played football, uh, like not unsuccessfully as I did, okay, uh, I, I, I was all the time needing help getting my pads on. And the reality is once you 
like if the pads fit right, you need help getting them on because the jerseys are so tight or maybe they just got small on me. I don't know. But nevertheless, you need help getting these pads on. And that's true for this gear. A lot of times we just need help getting our gear on. And for me, man, I, God providentially gave that to me this week as I was driving in my car under full attack from the enemy, being accused from every direction. And you know who I was on my, my way to lunch with? Another Christian. And Satan didn't, didn't even want me to go. He just wanted me to just cancel the meeting. But I got there. And you know what this Christian did? They prayed for me. And they spoke the gospel to me in ways that they didn't even know that I needed. And so that's the effect that you can have. Christ in you can help one another suit up. And um, just be reminded of this this week, church. It's not that you don't owe anything. It's that it's been paid in full by Jesus. That's what the gospel tells you. When God, when, uh, when Satan tempts you to Forget, forget God's justice, that's temptation. When, God, when uh, Satan tempts you to forget God's love, that's accusation. Remember that you are more sinful than you could ever admit, but you're more loved than you could ever hope. We have an enemy, and he is strong, but we have armor, and it is stronger. There's a song I've been listening to this week called Christ is Mine Forever. It goes, part of it towards the end says, Minor days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way. One with Christ I will encounter, harm and hatred for his name. But mine is armor for this battle, strong enough to last the war. And he has said he will deliver safely to the golden shore. Whatever the weeks ahead hold for you, whatever they look like, I want to encourage you to walk in worship. Every bit of it, the hard, the scary, the good, the relieving, the peaceful, can all be full of worship. Walk in worship, City Church. Fight the temptation and accusation of your enemy with the truth of the gospel. Bring Jesus' words closer to you than anything else. Bring the truth of God's love for you in Christ closer to you than anything else. Fight for your joyful worship together in the power of the Spirit. That's what Ephesians is telling us to do. Fight for our joyful worship together in the power of the Holy Spirit. I love you. See you soon.